Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi everyone, my name is Jack Rico and welcome to episode 151 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a show about how Latinx pop culture is reshaping mainstream entertainment. On this week's episode... Very early on, I had a um, someone in my family who told me, talent is easy to find, persistence and grit is not. He told me that you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the persistence and the grit... You're not going to make it. My guest this week is Cuban-American writer-director Carlos V. Gutierrez, who discusses his first feature-length film, Locked In. What are we doing here? Just stay here. I'll get it back. Oh, God. <laughs> I need something that's in a locker. The only thing is I don't know which locker. What do you want me to do? Help us find the locker. We're not leaving here until we get what we want. Find my diamonds. Him and I discuss an array of topics, including what it took him to get his first Hollywood movie made, if directors and writers are responsible for improving the image of Latino-created characters, and what we have to do to convince studio executives that Latino stories are worth watching. But before I talk to Carlos, it's time I give you my weekly review of what's happening in Latinx pop culture in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie, TV, and music news of the week. Indiana Jones 5 starts filming in the UK. La Casa de Papel returns for its final season 5 on Netflix in two parts, the first on September 3rd and the second on December 3rd. Bad Bunny sings in Japanese in new track Yonaguni. Jenna Ortega will play the character Wednesday in the Addams Family spinoff. Jennifer Lopez signs a multi-year deal with Netflix. Sarah Ramirez joins the Sex and the City revival as its first non-binary character. Isaac Gonzalez will star in Wolf Country. Melissa Barrera to star in Netflix's six-episode survival survival drama Breathe. J.D. Pardo joins the Amazon conspiracy thriller series The Terminalist. Justina Machado to headline the Amazon pilot The Horror of Dolores Roach. And New York City will have a Central Park mega concert on August 21st to celebrate its reopening. And in tech and social media news, Facebook is planning its first smartwatch for next summer. Twitter launches Blue, their first ever subscription offering. Clubhouse is now open to Android users. Apple Podcast says it'll launch in-app subscriptions globally on June 15th. YouTube expands its TikTok rival shorts to Latin America. And Apple employees will return to the office three days a week beginning in September. <laughs> If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, then you know that I love supporting Latino creatives who are representing our community in Hollywood. This is why I'm super psyched to talk to Carlos V. Gutierrez. He's a Cuban-American director. He's born and raised in Miami, 
who did his film studies at Tufts University and NYU, and who after a few years of making national commercials and festival short films, he is now premiering his first feature-length film. It's an action thriller called Locked In, about a woman who accidentally gets involved in a diamond heist gone wrong. Who was in the bathroom? My daughter. You spoke to the cops! I'm not afraid of you. Tell us a little bit about the film. Why did you want to make this film? Why was this the film that you were going to come out and go, here you go, guys. It's Carlos Gutierrez. Put your stamp on it. Love that. Thank you so much, Jack. So Locked In was a five-year process between writing and finishing the film. So between writing, then directing it, then finishing it in post was about five years all in all. Um, you know, when it's your first, it just takes longer. It just is is a process uh, to get it made and get people behind you and believing in you and also even getting the actors. And the reason, honestly, I wanted to do it was, you know, I love genre films. Like, you know, I grew up watching genre films and I just wanted to make something where there was a bit of a trapping for the audience so that I could have a character study of a woman in desperation, in desperate need of... Uh, cash and trying to find a right the right life for her and her daughter mm -hmm. and trying to do right by herself you know and but there was no story i could find that i could tell that it was as um entertaining for the audience as a genre film and so i kind of did this mashup of a character driven thriller right so you, you kind of live in maggie's world for the first 10 minutes of the film but then once the film gets going it is a full-on genre film and it doesn't let up and so those two things were really important to me because I loved when I would watch genre films, but where I actually cared about the characters, you know? And, uh, and I think that's something that is lost on a lot of people sometimes when they first do their first film. They're so just maybe trying to impress visually or they're trying to impress um, whatever it might be, uh, you know, with the shots they can get. And really what people notice is characters, right? And that's a mm -hmm. big thing for me. Uh, because you can't compete with the big boys. You can't, you know, have your helicopter shots or your, you know, uh, big explosion or car chases or whatever you might want to put in there. So you have to kind of win out with what you have at your disposal. And what I had at my disposal is I'm a, I'm a writer. And I, you know, my thing as a director is I love studying characters. I, I watch people, I observe people and, you know, try to reflect that in the writing. Did these characters initially, were they Hispanic? You know, I left it very open. I didn't want to make it seem either way because, you know, I will tell you the way Maggie was initially written, she was written to be Latina. I never stated mm. that in the script. It was never stated because honestly, when I started writing this, let's say five years ago, um, that was not a thing. Like I was told within the industry, uh, don't be so specific on casting because there's there's only a limited amount of actresses that fit certain parameters and uh and the investors would, would probably want you know a say in who is the lead you know as opposed to your point of view only They're exactly. like hey I'm paying for money you know why don't we put in uh 
why don't we put in, uh, you know, J-Lo here? You know, and, and everybody has their own opinion and you got to kind of just work with that. So I get it. Yeah. And, and it was a thing. It was a double whammy. I will tell you this. Uh, I was told by several people, number one, don't make her Latina. And then number two Damn. was, does it have to be a girl or a woman? Wow. Can't you just make it a guy? We could sell this thing tomorrow if you just made the story about a guy instead of a, a woman. What was your reaction when they said, do we have to make her a Latina and do we have to make her a woman? What were your initial thoughts with that? Even though that you wanted to get your 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 movie out. So what were the compromises morally, ethically that you had to make here in order to get this movie greenlit? Well, you know, I had a great backing in Elias Exume, who was the producer, believed in this from the very beginning. He was the one developing the script with me. Uh, and he was really adamant that I, we would put as many Latinos in the cast as possible. But we both realized that there are certain criteria that you need in order to reimburse the film, right? So that the investors get their money back, so that the film is successful, uh, both financially and critically. And he realized that we couldn't paint ourselves into a Latina lead 100% because, again, you have to look back at the story, right? The story could happen in any U.S. city. Mm -hmm. It could be anyone. And so he kind of used just logic in that sense. But he himself is Latino. You know, he's Salvadoran and raised in L.A. And, you know, he, wow. he really wanted to make sure he said, look, I want as many people behind the camera and in front of the camera to be Latino. And we did it. I mean, listen, we have three of the cast members are Latino and of completely different descent. You have myself, the script supervisor, the uh, cinematographer is uh, Caribbean, he's Haitian American. And so, you know, we really pushed the minority boundary as much as we could. And, and you know, I think it's really up to the alliances of the world, the producers, the, the studio executives, because as directors, uh, a lot of times you're a hired hand if you're just directing. When you're writing and directing, you definitely have a little more say, but it's not much more, I really will tell you, especially if it's your first film. So you do have to be somewhat flexible. Now, if the story calls for Latina, and it's a story about a Latina, absolutely it should be Latina. I mean, there's no question at this point that that, that is not cool or acceptable, right? I think, you know, 10 years ago is a different story. But I will tell you, with Locked In, you know, it, we, we, we decided to be very flexible on the lead, but we knew that certain parts, definitely we wanted to cast Latino and we had the ability to do that. So Manny Perez, Dominican, he's done his own movies. He's led a couple of films and now we see Manny in, in this film. But Carlos, we see him as a thug. You know, and once again, we go back to that image representation issue. And I've challenged a lot of directors recently as well about going, how do we stop putting Latinos in positions where we're just propagating a stereotype over and over again? They can't be lead, but they can be the thug in a film. So for you, how difficult was it for you to have to do that in this film in order to get it made? I mean, great to see Manny. He's getting paid. He's an actor that now has a check. He's an actor that can now talk about it. It's made him relevant. Uh, but overall, the big picture here is how do we stop putting Latinos, you, me, and, and our community, so they can start being leads? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I will. That's a good double whammy question. So I would answer the first thing is, look, Manny wanted to do the movie because he, he read the script and read for the part of, of uh, Ross. You know, Ross is one of those names that's also kind of like, right. what's, what's, his, <laughs> what's his ethnicity, right? We don't know. 
And so we had a very complicated kind of bio created for both the the, the partners in crime. And Bruno Bichir, who's Lee as well. Yeah, and Bruno Bichir is also a lead in the film, and he's really the reason the movie goes down in a story sense, right? And mm-hmm. he himself is Mexican from an extremely established uh, Mexican family. Uh, the Bichir brothers, who are known for both theater and film, obviously uh, Damian Bichir is his brother, um, Oscar-nominated. So I will tell you that what we discussed as a team, okay, uh, was giving the characters a little bit of dimension, right? Like, so that Manny and Bruno's relationship is what causes the film to happen, okay? So we gave them backstories. Um, and honestly, I think what's funny is that Manny, in a lot of ways, is actually the comedic relief, right? He's not the baddie, baddie, you know, super thuggy, you know, he, and I get why you would say he's a thug, but in the sense of like, he is a little bit of the almost comedic relief uh, of the two, there is the ultimate bad guy, which is played by Jeff Fahey uh, in Mel. So what I would say is that, you know, we I always make sure that every character, it doesn't matter if they're the villain, because, you know, it's that old saying, uh, every villain is a hero in their own story. And in his story, Manny's doing, and it doesn't come out in the film, but he's doing those things for a reason. There is an actual personal and uh, very... Um, intricate reason why he's going through the motions of what he's done. So that's first part in terms of now the bigger picture. Look, I'll give you an example with open house right now. We are in the midst of setting up casting open house is potentially my next film. And uh, what we're looking at is just potentially filming it uh, at the end of this year in 2022. And the mandate we're putting in is that we want two of the three leads to be Latino and Latina. Um, and really, you know, help shape those characters and make sure that they are being put in the forefront. So I think it's happening. It's happening slowly, but I think it's happening. And I think there's a lot more of this, you know, putting it out in like, for example, Cobra Kai, the mm-hmm. lead is, is he's amazing, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's going to be someone to watch. And there's so many now in the Heights has all these amazing young Latino actors. Like one of them I've worked on several commercials uh, with her is Leslie Grace, Dominicana oh, from yeah. New York. Bachatera. And I, mm-hmm. I love her, man. She's, I, Me too. I remember the first time I worked with her, I said, you are going to be there very soon. I mean, I can see. Just and she was doing, the breakout of that film too, In the Heights. I yeah. Saw it. Yeah. So I haven't gotten a chance to see it. I'm very excited just to watch it for her. And, um, you know, I think it's Anthony Ramos, who's the, the lead. The he lead. looks amazing in it too. And Melissa Barrera, who's in it, you know, and yeah. so, I think there's just this new wave where we're not seeing Mexican, Dominican, Cuban, Puerto Rican, whatever it might be. We're just seeing Latino or Latina, you know, and I think it's uh, it's a really cool thing that's happening. And 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 to your point, I think it's it's all up to us. But again, I say we've always been here, you know, the filmmakers, the actors, we've been here the whole time. The thing that's not been here the whole time is the studio executives and the managers and the agents who are pushing the Latino stories and characters to the forefront. What's going on with these studio executives that they're not comprehending why Latino stories are rich, are beautiful, are a legitimate talent is out there. What is their resistance to Latino stories? You've been in these studio rooms. You've been in the negotiating table. What are they saying? Why do you think they're saying it? Why the resistance to us as a community? Well, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's been there for a long time. 
it's just a, a learned condition. You know, they just didn't think there was an audience for these stories. Um, that's why there's two people I'll just name out, like Tyler Perry and Robert Rodriguez. They, they said, okay, you're not going to help me get our stories done. We're going to do it ourselves. So one packed up, went to Atlanta. The other one packed up, went to Austin. Went to Austin. Yeah. And I will tell you that what they've been successful in is proving to the industry that these stories are valid, they are money makers, and they can be done correctly if they just allow us to tell our own stories. Um, and that goes for the African-American community as much as the Latino community. Um, you know, so it, it is really up to the filmmakers to take the destiny in their own hands and don't ask for permission, right? Like that's the big thing now. Don't ask for permission if it's okay to tell our story or if it's okay to cast a Latino lead, you know, and that's how I think we all kind of walked into the rooms before, you know, Hey, I'm kind of thinking this should be a Latino lead. No, it should be now a mandate it should be, no, this movie takes place in an urban city. Well, you know, the, the main actor should be a Latino or a Latina because I am myself, I'm a Latino and I want to see our stories reflected. I recently, I talked to Randall Park. Uh, he is the Asian American actor and we were having some really interesting conversations about the business and how he has his own production company and he's the whole mandate behind his production company is to create Asian American stories. Yeah. And so I said to him, I said, you know, you're, you'd be an interesting person to talk to about the Latino uh, aspects of Hollywood. Why do you think, Randall, that Latino stories aren't getting the play that Asian American stories are getting right now? And he said something really interesting. He said it's called packaging. What really gets a show, you know, at least even in development, let alone, you know, uh, a, a pilot greenlit or whatever, is, is the package. What stars do you bring uh, to that package, you know, along with that idea? What, what famous director do you attach, you know? And because we traditionally have not gotten the opportunities to have a number of great directors that we could bring on as an attachment, the number of stars that are quote unquote meaningful to the industry to, to, to attach that where, where, where the, you know, the, the heads of these studios will be like, yes, yes, we, we need that. You know, and I, and I found that the stars in, in, in our community, like the legends in our community are often not, they don't even know who they are sometimes. Asian Americans right now, they do have Stephen Yun, you know, they have Lee Isaac Chung uh, for Minari, and they have other ones. So they got their directors, they got their actors, Randall Park included. But us Latinos, we don't have any superstars. Even our superstar directors like Goña, um, Alejandro González Iñárritu, uh, et cetera, Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro, they're doing white movies, man, except for uh, Roma. But Birdman and Hellboy, I mean, seriously. So you get to a point where you start asking yourself, how is it possible up to this moment that we don't have a Latino movie star? an A-list guy that you can attach to your project right now and say, here's your packaging, here's the writer, here's the superstar, everything that you need. Now let's get this done. There seems to be, from the from the actors themselves, they're like, I'm right here. The Latinx, Michelle Rodriguez, why is she not an A-list sequel in, uh, what's that movie that, uh, Resident Evil? Yeah. Why, why? Fast and Furious wasn't good enough for you to see her talent. Yeah. So yeah. from from my perspective, 
there's shady work at play here. Mm. So I don't want to be that conspiracy theories guy. So I want to kind of get your take, guy who's in the business, talking to creators, talking to executives. What is the resistance? Why why don't we have the ability to package something with superstar Latinos? Well, look, I, I will say that right now, I think there it's probably been the best it's ever been. And and that might not be good enough yet. Damn, that's like the floor. <laughs> I right? know, I know. Well, you know, like they always say, there's only one way to move up. <laughs> so, I mean, look, we got Oscar Isaac, who is arguably, you know, probably the, one of the most valuable A-list actors we have Latina-wise. Um, you know, and there's, there's actors and actresses, you know, Aza Gonzalez is really blowing up. I mean, she's in everything. She's in Oscar-nominated movies now. And can't and leave the film because they don't see her as box office quality. And box office correct. to me would be, right. you know, in today's world, 50 million. In yesterday's world, it was 100 million. Mm. If a Latino star can crack 50 million at the box office today, that is considered an A-list star. Oscar Isaac has never led a major blockbuster film. He's been in Star Wars. I'll give him that. Right, Benicio right. Del Toro has been in Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll give him that. But look at the roles. Look at how they're not mm. leading these roles. So Aza Gonzalez, probably the most ubiquitous new female emerging, rising it star from the Latino world who can't lead her own movie. I'm, I'm throwing my hands up in the air, Carlos. Help me out here, man. Yeah, look, I'll tell you, it's just like, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's up to us, the Latino filmmakers. And that doesn't just mean the directors or the writers, it means the producers. Like, I've had conversations about TV series that we're going out to pitch now. And, you know, originally, we had kind of left the ethnicity pretty ambiguous. Mm -hmm. And now, mm -hmm. with everything that's happened during Corona, we went back and retooled the series deck and said hey, we want to make this a Latino story. Like they have to put, you know, the Latino now in what would have probably been a white-led cast, right? Right. Another one is another series that I've, I've got, and it took me, listen, it took a long time to get to the point where we're at, uh, where we're going to pitch this and we now have an A-list actor attached. But the A-list actor needed to be Latino because it was based on a series of books that I optioned, that I developed under my company, and we found the right actor at the right point where he has a lot of street cred and has his agency behind him and is willing to take a chance on a project like this because they realize what's happening, that he is not, you know, the buddy anymore. He is the lead. So and I the reason that project didn't move for, you know, a few years was because people would look at it and say, oh, it's a Latino lead. Well, you know, there's only like one or two guys that can really <laughs> lead that. And now that's opened up and we attached someone who actually means something to them. And so, again, it's sort of doubling down on the poker table and saying you're all in or you're not, you know, and, and right. we are. Definitely moving in that direction. I'm up for another project right now that, you know, it would be myself as a Latino uh, director, Latina lead. Uh, and it's I a great it. story. It's a great, I can't talk really more about it than that, but it's, it's one of those roles that for the Latina lead, it would be an amazing role for them. And I just think it's, it's again, not asking for permission to tell these stories because I put myself five years ago with this exact same story that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. nobody would have been interested nobody because it's a latina lead it's hard it's gritty and it's the kind of role that latinas are going to fall over themselves to play 
But five years ago, it would have been impossible to get it financed. And now we're saying, hey, this story is relevant because it's about a current event right now that is on the tips of tongues and people talking about it. So again, I think we have to do a better job of pushing, pushing harder back on the resistance um, that exists because it's always going to exist there, uh, at least until we can you know, really, really change things 100%. And that goes mm -hmm. across the board. Listen, there's African-American stories. There are guys that are, and gals that I went to NYU with who are get, trying to get their African-American stories done. And as much as things have opened up for, for that community as well, uh, especially after the Oscars this year, they had, you know, it's been, uh, been an amazing year for the African-American community. There's still stories that are not being looked at because of the fact that they're just, you know, where's the audience for this? And as soon as you can answer the question, where is the audience for that? By either a big hit or that the lead becomes a, uh, someone who is, like you said, valuable to the industry. It's, it's just going to be a question we're going to have to deal with at least for the next foreseeable few years of, uh, of pitching. Carlos Gutierrez, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. The name of the movie is called Locked In. It's available in theaters right now, digital and on demand. You can stream it as well. Carlos, thank you once again for being on the show. Thanks, Jack. I really appreciate it. Hopefully I'll be back soon with the next one. And before we wrap up, here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Todo de ti, Raúl Alejandro. Suerte, Yorgaki. The Marias. That's it for episode 151 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Carlos V. Gutierrez for coming on the show. And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. Also, we have a new podcast about race and pop culture called Brown and Black with Mike Sargent and me. It's available on all podcast platforms. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, 
Eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.